Welcome to the Spirituality Out Loud podcast, where you'll hear real-life stories of people's unique spiritual journeys in their own words from their own viewpoints. Hosted by Leslie Seidel, relationship expert and spiritual mentor, who specializes in working with people on their relationships, from their romantic life to their work life and just plain life. Here's Leslie. Hi, everybody. It's Leslie Seidel here, and this week... We get the honor and the privilege of having a conversation with James Olivia Hillman. James Olivia is a coach, an interrogator of reality, and a fellow work in progress. Uh, She asks far too many uncomfortable questions, and she believes that neither freedom nor joy can be had without combining the disobedience of inquiry with love. It's such a wonderful conversation with her, and I found um, her so intelligent and grounded and, and filled with love and compassion, not only for herself, but for me and everyone else. So please enjoy this wonderful conversation, and here is Olivia James. Hi, James Olivia. Hello, Leslie. Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> How are you today? I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. This is great. Yeah, I'm excited to hear your story. So, you know, we begin at the beginning, or at least, you know, whatever we can remember of the beginning. <laughs> so what, what religion or spirituality were you raised with and or what was your experience of that growing up? That is such a loaded question, <laughs> religion or spirituality. Thank you for making that distinction because they're so different. I was actually raised in a white Southern Baptist church in California. Okay. Spiritually, my religion, I would say, had very, very little to do with my spiritual upbringing. My family is from all over. My mother's family is from Hong Kong. My father's father was a German Jew who was adopted into a Christian family in America. And as a very, very young, young boy, uh, grew up American for all intents and purposes. And nobody in the family even really knew he was Jewish until we were, till my generation was in our adulthood. Um, And my father's mother was Dutch and Potawatomi. So there's a lot of ancestral religion and spirituality that had been erased. Mm. But I think all of that stuff still lives in us. I don't, I don't think that we can easily get rid of that stuff. It's, it's, in our, it's in our bones. And especially when you're you know, looking at faces, it's in our faces too. You can look around and go, okay, this is, I know I'm in a you know, white Southern Baptist church, but all of this doesn't look like me or like my family. So both of my grandparents, my grandfathers, my mother's father and my father's father were Baptist ministers, which sounds even crazier given, and that's how my parents met. They met in a, in a Baptist college in California. Um, so, so it wasn't just that this was part of the religion. This was like a deeply held part oh, yes. of the life. Oh, yes. Yeah, I was baptized in a Southern Baptist church when I was eight years old. And the first time I sang in front of a church was, I was five. I was steeped in it. 
very much steep in it. How was it for you? Did it feel good? Did it feel bad? Did it feel neutral? I think that there were parts of it that felt amazing. I think that there's, you know, when you are in your formative years to belong to something is very safe. It gives you a really great foundation. Um, And then to start developing your own thoughts and asking your own questions and realizing that it's completely out of alignment in some ways with what you understand to be the truth is really disorienting. And that happened pretty early for me. So I think between the ages of like eight and 13, it was like all unfolding that, hmm, I don't necessarily understand what's happening here. The fundamental things that I've been taught about, you know, Jesus loving everyone and then Christianity being so exclusionary and Southern Baptist religion being even more exclusionary and having such a history of exclusion and racism. And um, even now, like even now as I'm in my 40s, coming to understand Christianity and colonization for the history that they've had and, and coming from you know, Potawatomi ancestry and coming from Chinese ancestry where missionaries came and, and made Christians of my family. It's, at first, I think it was disorienting and then it becomes angering. And then there's sort of a, okay, well, what does this all mean? So now that I understand that this, okay, this happened, um, what does that mean? And then, you know, specific to our conversation, what does that mean in terms of my own spirituality. So, so that's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have to go into all of that in this conversation. No, and we can. I'm, you know, what I'm kind of curious about is like what happened between eight and 13 that started to kind, that started to, like what, did something happen that Um, started to create this for you? Like you were belonging, you were into it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I heard you start to say. Like it fulfilled something. Yeah, I think at five years old, it's, it's like, oh, yeah, these are, you know, this is <laughs> like, this is my extended family. I think perhaps as just a function of who I am as a really, really inquisitive person, religion is fundamentally a form of, I mean, if we're just going to lump that in with spirituality, I think it's a really old paradigm of spirituality where it's an authority-led practice. The authority comes from outside yourself. The dogma might be a strong word, but, but the practices, the, um, the rules, the relationship that you have to God, the relationships that you have to other people in your church, those are all fairly prescriptive mm. and they're based on an external authority. And the focus really is on goodness. In formal religions, most formal religions, the focus really is on, you know, what is good, what is evil, and where do you fit in that binary? And there's a lot of focus, especially for women, because most, I mean, Christianity is one of the most patriarchal practices available to us. There's a, an enormous focus on obedience. And inquiry and curiosity are ridiculously disobedient practices. And so to have a child's curiosity um, that grew up into 
you know, as a child being, you know, up to five or eight years old, that's okay. You're a kid, you know, ask your questions and we'll give you the pat answers. But it was persistent with me. Mm -hmm. And so becoming a, a teenager and then an adult and having always that curiosity um, really led me out of that old paradigm of, you know, externally led authority um, based religion and into my current understanding of spirituality. So was, was that curiosity encouraged at the, in your house, in your, in your family? I don't know that it was necessarily encouraged. I don't think it was discouraged. Okay. I think it was probably, it's, it's a force with me. And so I don't think that I'm guessing it was just me and my mom in my house. And I think it was more like, okay, well that's an inevitability. So (laughs) we're not going to fight it because it's just going to be a bunch of suffering on all sides. But still, that's a sweet acknowledgement, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of spaces where that would have been actively stifled. And so that's kind of lovely to me, right? That that, it may not have been encouraged, but it wasn't actively stifled. Yeah. I don't think that it was welcomed with open arms, but it definitely was not stifled. Yes. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Okay. So you were raised this way. You had this experience. And then you started really questioning what happened. So it sounds like Southern baptism didn't pass the test. (laughs) Fair enough. What happened next? For a while, nothing, just nothing happened. It was um, baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Like, okay, this is, this doesn't work. And since that was really one of my only exposures to religion, because I was so steeped in it, it's not like I got to even play in other waters. What I, what I found was that I just didn't want any. It's like, okay, I'm, I won't go out and declare myself an atheist, but um, I don't know what's out there. And I don't, if it's out there, I don't know where to find it. If it is, it didn't even occur to me since I was, you know, raised in this external authority paradigm that, oh, God could be within it. You know, the divine could be everywhere in everyone. And, and I could be included in that, that, that wasn't even a, a possibility for me at that time as a, as a young teenager. So then what, I mean, so, so what happened next? Cause you do, you were curious. Oh yeah. You have a, I think you, what was it that you were described as a deeply spiritual person? That's how I, we were Someone in. Someone else's words. I think that was on the No pressure. That's <laughs> your description. So um, I'm totally teasing. So it's what happens next. So you're a teenager. You, you throw it out. Fair enough, right? Um, I think one of the things that's really interesting for me is watching the through lines of all of the different people who I interview. Mm-hmm. And that's the purpose of teenagerhood, right? Is to question, to push back and to, to make your own. And so most people, whatever they were raised with, kind of had to, got scrutinized mm-hmm. in that time frame, which is good. You know, what do I believe? What do you, what is really here versus what's been handed to me? So then, so then you kind of just went about your life. Fair enough, right? And uh, then what happened? Like what happened, what was your next, do you remember, spiritual experience or exploration or? Um, I think only in the last handful of years 
have I become intentional Mm. about how I explore and understand my own spirituality. I think it's always been there. And we talked about this a little bit outside this conversation, but the idea that we're all spiritual, just like we all in this human experience have bodies. So we are all physical. We live in a world where we are subject to physical laws and material things and and so we are we are intellectual we have brains we think we use them for the most part we're spiritual we're material we're physical we're emotional we are all of these things and so my lack of awareness or my lack of activity um, and engagement and intentionality didn't i don't think make me a a non-spiritual person just like if i'm not um, appreciating my my body or paying any attention to it or caring for it. It doesn't make me a non-physical person. I still have the body. Yeah, yeah. So I think I'm blessed to be able to look back now at all of those years and decades in between and go, okay, yes, I recognize spiritual experiences mm. that I had during that time, whether or not I was aware at the time that they were spiritual. So you wouldn't have called it that. It's not the storyline or the framework in which you held it, but Mm -hmm. now you can look back and see that going through there. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that I've been exploring a lot lately, and I think will probably become a much bigger focus of my life in the near future, and maybe forever, I don't know. (laughs) But I don't think it's any accident that I'm having this conversation with you right now at this moment in time, at this point in my life, but you are a relationship coach and you have this spirituality podcast and I am an integrative coach. I integrate things. And one of the things I've been exploring so much lately is that the relational is spiritual and the spiritual is relational. Mm -hmm. And so I might not have the have had the language to explain these spiritual experiences that I had when I was younger. But when I look back, a lot of them were relational experiences that helped me understand my place in the world, how to, how to feel joy, how to understand connection and healing and all of the things that we look for in spirituality, all the things that we look to spirituality to kind of, provide for us often are relational things. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, (laughs) this idea of starting a podcast and I should only be talking about relationships and okay, whatever. The spirituality is such that I really had this, I think everything is divinely inspired, whether I'm looking at it that way or not. (laughs) And, you know, I, I studied Carl Jung for a long time and at his front door it said, called or not called, God is present. And I just love that idea. And I remember I had a hard time in relationship and that's why I, that's why I do the work I do because I want to help others with it. Right. And, and I remember just thinking like, why would spirit, why would, why do I have this deep, deep calling for something that I cannot seem to figure out? And it just was so frustrating. Either give me what I need or stop giving me the desire for the thing. Like just t- choose one. And now it's, it's the, the way I view it is that the healing or the work is in that calling, right? I had such a deep calling for true partnership. 
such a deep calling. And the places where I was still stuck, like the, the deep calling made it so that I was willing to do the spiritual work mm-hmm. to get to the other side. I don't know if that rings true for you, if I made sense, but it's, it's so perfectly like, I just believe that the universe is in alignment for like where I'm out of alignment. There's something I really want on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, the desire for that is the, the reason I do that work. The reason I do the shifting and the changing and the surrender yet again. Right. So how, how do you hold this? Um, well, now I'm still kind of processing and stewing on what you just said. Yeah, yeah. About the work that we do to align and the spiritual work that we do to align to to have the relationships that we re- we really desire. Um, and it works the other way too. The relational work that we do allows us to have the spirituality that we really desire. Amen. Um, and I actually I love that 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 quote you just said came from Jung because when I think about these, you know, old paradigms of religion focusing on goodness and obedience, this new paradigm of spirituality is really focused on wholeness and integrity. And it's, you know, his, his quote, I'd, I'd rather be whole than good. (laughs) And so I, I don't think that religion and spirituality have to be pitted against one another in a binary but if I had to choose, I would absolutely choose wholeness, the one that in, encompasses all of it, rather than the one that it takes a fragment. But I, I do believe that at its best, spiritual uh, religions do feed people. I have people in my life who are deeply fed by these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I, is, it, is there shadow in that, in religion? Yeah. Is there shadow in spirituality? Yeah, right? I'm going to sit on, like, you know, I've been talking or looking in, into how this manifestation work can be really damaging to people of color, right? And how spiritual white women, like me, me, really hurt women of color and people of color with all of the ways that we do that. And I don't want to sidetrack your story, but, um, this actually is my story. So let's keep going there. (laughs) Well, it's just the shadow, right? So then we're going to pull young in the shadow of it. Like each, everything has a shadow work, right? And, and this is the shadow work. So, yeah. So I guess I want to hear your voice instead of mine. (laughs) Well, at some point I would love to hear more about what you're saying right now, because that's, thank you for bringing it up. That's enormously important. And, and one of the things that I think as a, a coach, I've struggled with the, even in my training, or especially in my training, um, in a spiritual coaching program, where there was a lot of spiritual bypassing and a lot of gaslighting. And, and where I think that we're kind of perched on this cusp of coming from a personal practice and a you know personal empowerment and personal growth and development to relational empowerment and when we get into stuff like when i hear the words divine feminine i cringe a little bit sometimes um not because i want to take anything away from the divine or the feminine but 
when we talk about you know, where white women's spirituality sits in this context, because context really is, we can't avoid it. We're in it. We, we live in an ecosystem. We live in a time and place. We have history. And if we ignore that, that's what spiritual bypassing is when we're ignoring the harm we do relationally. But when we're not looking at context, we can say, oh, you know, I really want to embrace my divine feminine. And that's all well and good in a personal empowerment practice where I go, wait, I'm divine. I'm, di- I'm feminine. This is, I'm both of these things. I love this. I want to be all this. And then we ignore the ecosystem and the systems of oppression that we've been conditioned and socialized into that diminish the divine or diminish spirituality over reason, that diminish the feminine in favor of the masculine. And we're conditioned and socialized this way and we're fed all of these messages from every direction all the time. And if we're not dismantling that, if we're not able to see our own context clearly, it doesn't matter what we tell ourselves about our divinity and our femininity because all that stuff is still hiding in the background. That's the shadow. Our Our very context is the shadow. I think that what I really appreciate is this idea of like what it's the wholeness, right? We're going to go back to the whole, we need the wholeness. The patriarchy obviously is not working and we can easily get into that dialogue, but making swinging all the way the other way isn't good either. Like you said, like we need this. I want to hear kind of, so I, I want to kind of go back to the trail, which is how did you get here? Right? So you spent this time that you, ignored this piece right or you know you can see it now and then now we just jumped to this incredible other piece all the stuff in between yes so (laughs) was there some big thing that happened that then created this path or like how do we walk me there a little um the big thing that happened in the middle was a lot of suffering and misalignment That's the thing that normally Amen. gets us from It's the only thing <laughs> from being asleep to going, wait a minute, this isn't working. I travel at the speed of pain. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, I, I could walk you through all of my 20s and 30s, but I think the major things were the death of my mother seven years ago, a marriage and a marriage to and a divorce from an atheist, white neuroscientist guy. (laughs) Throughout that marriage, I think a part of me was always going, why am I triggered every time he says something about, something disparaging about spirituality? Because I didn't think that I had any feelings about it one way or the other. I'm like, people do what they do, you know, whatever. Um, But he would make little offhand remarks. And he, he wasn't a cruel person. He was a really nice person. Um, but little things like that would just put me off, like just set my teeth on edge. I'd be like, no, what if I, what if I am a really spiritual person? Like, what if I do believe in the power of prayer? What if I, what if I do care about the ancestors' influence in my life? And what if these things are important to me? I've put myself into a context where that's really diminished. 
And I will not lie. That was, it's not like that was the make or break thing in our relationship. A, a whole marriage doesn't go downhill from that one thing. I think the death of my mother and marriage and divorce, and then also meeting my husband now, Ben, who is really one of the most liberated people that I've ever met and is not bound to anybody's ideas about what should be. Seeing that kind of freedom, seeing that kind of just lack of suffering. It's like, oh, you live in an absence of suffering, and I have made myself a whole world of suffering over here. Uh, how do you do that? Can I have <laughs> like, some of that, please? I would I like, like what you're having. <laughs> Hold on one second. I really appreciate this idea that you had something kind of going on in the background that until someone negated it, you didn't realize you cared about it. Is that what you yeah. just said? Yeah. I, and I didn't know until later that that was such a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I find that that's also true, right? These spiritual awakenings happen in pain and in a loss when, feel, when people feel lost. And, or I don't, maybe that's my word. I would like to also think that it happens. Yes, I will agree with you that for, for me and probably the majority of people that I know, that's how it happens. I would also like to think that it's possible for us to come to it through joy and through connection, mm. because that's a really big thing that I don't want to diminish is my relationship with Ben is also a really enormous part of, of me understanding that spirituality is, is relational. It's not just a personal practice. So talk, uh, tell me about that. What does that mean to you? Your spirituality is relational and not a personal practice. What does that mean? Um, I'm not going to say it's not at all a personal practice. I just don't think it's limited to a personal practice. Yes. Um, the thing that we talked about just before we started recording, but that mountaintop spirituality, um, that deeply personal practice that doesn't involve anyone else. And in fact, if anyone else intrudes, it's a disruption into our spirituality. It's like messing with your bliss by interrupting your practice. Yeah. Um, you know, I could be so peaceful if life didn't happen, if other people's shit didn't interfere. Um, if other people were more evolved, I could be more deeply attuned to my own spirituality. As soon um, as I have these things in place, I will be spiritual. Yes. Yes. Or I will, or I will completely withdraw. And that's something that I've done as well. My husband and I moved to the Sonoran Desert for three years and didn't have a social life. I, we are very, very lucky to have been able to work remotely for me to stop working for a few months at a time and do the thing, like sit in the desert and meditate. And it, it is phenomenal. It's a phenomenal way to practice spirituality that is going to be interrupted by real life when you stop doing it that way. But I also love the idea that it's both like we're back to this theme of wholeness. Yes. That my personal time on a cushion, right? My personal time in meditation and in prayer and in nature is, is they're all equal, right? It's just as important as how I'm treating you, 
how I'm treating the waiter, how I'm treating my husband and three-year-old, right? That it, that any swing in each direction that negates the other piece is not the, like, not the answer, right? The answer, but isn't, you know, you, you need the balance. And to be shown yourself, you know, you won't always be shown yourself by other people. Sometimes you are shown yourself by a sunset or, you know, there, there's a, there's a place for that mountaintop spirituality, but it is not the only way that we are able to commune with the divine. And not everybody is going to share the, the same belief that I have. I really do subscribe to the divine being in everything. I, I really do believe that the divine is in everyone and in everything. And part of that, part of the personal practice is being able to be uncomfortable which translates to the relational practice of being able to be with someone else when we are uncomfortable because we've practiced being uncomfortable. But there are people and ideas and circumstances that we're not going to love. We just don't love. And to me, a deeply spiritual practice is to be able to be in relationship with the world and not have it fuck you up and make you suffer all the time. My coach, Lena, reminds me, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Yeah. Um, My son just recently got diagnosed with autism. And when that happened, it felt like there's no other answer than pure despair and terror for his future. And I don't feel that way today. And I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not clear what it means. He's very young, la la la. I don't even know what autism means at this point. But I know that this is just a it's a it's what you just said, right? No matter what happens, I don't have to suffer. I may not like <laughs> I may absolutely say no to what is happening, but it, yeah, it's happening, right? And how am I with the thing that's happening? I mean, that's what you're talking about, right? The relational piece is not just you and I relationally, right? It's relational to every experience we have. I mean, it's, is that what you're saying? That's a huge part of it. Yeah, that's a huge oh. part of it. Another piece of it to add to that is our relationship with everything that we don't know and also every one that we don't know. So everything that we don't know is well, the unknown, the uncertain. That feeling, that fear of, you know, what, what will my son's future be? What will my future be? What will our family's future be? Yeah. Um, what will happen now? All the things that you can't know, which incidentally, we all have about everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. Very clear on that. Um, there, there are things that we have a lot of certainty about the likelihood of, but there's, there's our relationship with all of the stuff we don't know, which is pretty much everything outside this moment and all the people that we don't know that also scare us Mm. in their unfamiliarity, in our discomfort. And I think that that's some of the places where you were talking about how white spiritual women can do harm to women of color. 
I don't necessarily think it's only harm to women of color. I think it's doing harm to yourself. And I say this, you know, coming from this relational perspective of whenever we do harm, we're doing harm to our ecosystem. We share an ecosystem. And so when we do harm to anyone, we are harming ourselves. We are putting out a, it might be a slower poison for us. It might be quick and violent and dirty for someone else. It's still a slow poison that we have to breathe, that we have to drink, that that it is in our own best interest to stop doing. Yeah. So that we can be well. Oh man. We're we're running out of time. Although I have like this now desire to bring you back and just have you come and chat all the time. Um I would love that. Good. Uh, for me, one of the things I like to touch upon is the practicality of a spiritual life, right? Big air quotes. And so I'd love to hear, um, what, is your, what, what does your spiritual life look like, right? What, is, what are the practices that you do in this work? I ask questions. Mm. I ask a lot of questions all the time. And I let them change me. I let the answers change me. For me, the practical aspects of a spiritual life are very much in line with the practical aspects of relationships, relational life, a foundational practice that I, I used to joke about this with people that I would date. I'd be like, you know, it's, it's really simple. Just show up and pay attention. (laughs) (laughs) That's all. And it sounds so simple and it's so not easy. Um, And I had someone say to me once, you know, you really, you really set a low bar. And I was like, try it, just try it and come back to me and tell me if you think it's a low bar. Yeah. Interesting. But I guess you're asking me about my own personal practice and I would like to, you know, talk theory. So, um, but showing up and paying attention, I write every morning. That is a a spiritual practice to me. So getting up every morning, I grab my cup of hot water, which doesn't sound very yummy, but I like it. And, And I sit with my cup of hot water and a, and a fountain pen and a notebook. And I just write, I write and write and write until I'm done. Sometimes that's page and a half. Sometimes it's more. And part of my spiritual practice is conversations with my husband. Mm. He is, he is church to me. Mm. We, that is communion for me. Mm. Um, part of my spiritual practice is listening to my ancestors. I look at a picture of my mother's mother. She sits on my desk, my popo. And listen. And that's actually fairly new for me. That's a fairly new practice for me. And it's a big deal. I think that I have always, up until several years after my mom's death, like people would say, oh, you know, does she talk to you? And I'm like, when people die, they're dead. (laughs) They don't talk to me. Um, Like dead people have never talked to me. I know people that dead people talk to. I'm not one of them. And Actually, last Friday was the, not last Friday, the Friday before, was the seventh anniversary of my mother's death date. And I woke up 
that morning and I wake up in the morning and there are thoughts in my head, like the, the brain starts going, the, the thoughts start coming. And this thought just was sticking there like a billboard in my head. And it said, you can't fight for everyone until you belong to someone. Hmm. And there was this thing my mother used to say at the end of every conversation that we would have on the phone. She would say, remember who you belong to. And I always thought she was talking about God, like the Christian patriarchal God. And I would brush her off. <laughs> just be like, yeah, yeah. But, you know, a week and a half ago, I woke up with this thought in my head and it, it was the anniversary of her death. And I knew it was her. Like she was speaking to me and she was saying, it doesn't have to be the same God that I taught you about or the same incarnation or, or expression of God that, that I understood in my lifetime. But if you want to fight for everyone, if you actually care, if everyone in the world can suffer a little less and feel a little more joy and feel a little bit more connection and be freer and have access to the things that they need to thrive, you have to belong to someone. Mm. That comes with my husband. That came when I met Ben. Mm. Also listening to teachers because I was guided or misguided, I would say, by grandparents and parents who, whose lineage, whose spiritual ancestry and culture had been erased mm-hmm. through Christianity. Finding new teachers mm-hmm. has been everything to me. Mm-hmm. And they're not just spirit, like I don't categorize them as strictly spiritual teachers. Mm-hmm. But because to me, the relational is spiritual, because everything is spiritual, because everything is connected and you can't you know, weasel your way out of spirituality or, or being political or being material, you can't get out of any of these things. They're all connected. There are teachers like Desiree Attaway, like Stacey Shelton, like Lena West. There are teachers who, in this case, are all women of color are so deeply connected to what is universally true that I am required to listen to these voices because I didn't get them as a child. I didn't come up with them. And so I have so much learning to do now. So part of my spiritual practice is learning. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear. Thank you. Hmm. And, and it's so interesting to hear what you're describing and it's just different words right like a coach or a teacher or an elder Mm -hmm. or a mentor very much and and we lose that in this culture this elder and and i need it i need it for my well-being and i need to help those um younger right i need to facilitate both Right. And it's, um, it is part of this need as a human being, right? We are herd animals. We are, (laughs) we need each other. And, and and so I love how this conversation has been about the personal and the minute and how that fact, like these pieces are true and then they're true in the system. Mm -hmm right? Like you need to belong to your husband and you need to belong to a community and you need to belong to it. You know, like, and that, that statement can be true as we move out. Yeah. You know, 
I just, I want to say thank you so much for sharing, like sharing your thoughts, sharing your heart, sharing your experience so honestly and so candidly. And um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for allowing me to just expose my, my work in progress self in this way. Oh man, we are all a work in progress. <laughs> I might've been doing this for a long time with a very intentional way, but I, I can show you my work in progress. <laughs> all, uh, yes, there's always more. There's always Thankfully. more. Thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks so much. And so if anyone would like to get a hold of you, um, all of your information will be in the liner notes. And I'm also going to hopefully, we'll, we'll get information on how to get in touch with your teachers. I would love that. Yeah, I to honor them to really allow, I do believe to follow the sparkly path, right? And so for me, if anyone listening hears a name and says, ooh, that one. And it could be you, it could be me, and it could be any number of your teachers, right? And, and I just want to make sure that everyone listening gets that opportunity to find these people, especially if you're driving or walking in the woods or doing whatever you're doing while you listen to a podcast. So you can find that in the liner notes. We will get together and make sure that's all there. Great. I wish them on everyone. I wish them on the world. <laughs> yeah. And your voice too, right? We all have a place in the community. It really, yeah. Thank you for this. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode of Spirituality Out Loud. Be sure to rate us, review us, and like us on Facebook. And share us with your friends.